<laughs> yeah, you know, we're firing the uh, editor of that, uh, of that piece right there. Well, how many of you, your brackets are just all messed up? Uh, just see your hands. You know, there are six teams left in the, uh, in the tournament, and I really would like to hear from your kind of cheering, just who you cheering for in, in what's left. <laughs> Somebody's got to clue her in on the sport here. You have Butler that's in, and uh, not only is Butler, they're kind of like the Cinderella story, you have West Virginia, and they've already punched their ticket to the big dance. Then today you have two games that are going to decide the final two opponents. You have Tennessee playing Michigan State. So who's pulling for uh, Tennessee? Yeah, a few Southerners. How many's pulling for State? Yeah, all right. It's fine. Don't get too excited there. It's all right. They still got an injured point guard. It's all right. And then the second game, which will be the, the best game, is between the Duke Blue Devils or the Baylor University, the Baylor Bears, Sikkim Bears, and the Duke Blue Devils. So right there. Now, I'm a little conflicted because my son Blake goes to Baylor, and I've been a lifelong Duke fan. So Duke's got my money, or Duke's got my heart, Baylor's got my money. I messed that up entirely. Duke's got my heart. Baylor's got my money. But how many are pulling for the Baylor Bears? Just uh, Tom R. pulling for the Baylor Bears. I'll put it on Facebook. Blake will be happy. How many are pulling for Duke? Just for that, I'm preaching 20 minutes longer. Who's pulling for Duke? I knew I would get you people. I'm telling you. Well, listen, the number of ways to fill out the bracket, the odds of filling out the bracket, to get every one right, you have one chance in, catch this number, 9 quintillion, 223 quadrillion, 327 trillion, 36 million, 854 million, 775,808. If you got it all right on the first shot and filled in the brackets. Don's got a good bracket going because after the end of each round, he fills them in. See, and that's kind of the the way it's working. Those are pretty long odds. In our text, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 7 through 11 is really kind of where we're going to be focusing on. But we're going to focus on Palm Sunday. Why is it so important? Why do we honor this day? Why do do we look back at the life of Christ? The apostles carried the gospel message around the world. And there were three witnesses that, that they just held dearly in their heart. They valued the resurrection. They saw the risen Lord. They saw his miracles that he performed. And then they saw fulfilled prophecy. If you think that is tremendous odds, you ought to hear what it is to get prophecy right in the life of Christ. In the Old Testament, there are 120 prophecies concerning the life of Christ in his first coming, over 300 in his second coming. But we're just going to focus on the 320 in his first coming because all of those have come true. The odds of all of those coming true in one man in one lifetime is 1 to 84 with, uh, to the 131st power. That's that number right there. If you were a statistician that deals with mathematical improbabilities, scientists would say that that number far exceeds a mathematical improbability. 
However, in the life of Jesus Christ, all 120 prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in him. And some people say, well, yeah, he can kind of fulfill some. He could ask for, for vinegar to drink on the, on the cross. And, 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 and I'll grant you that. I don't know how many of you have died on a cross thinking about drinking vinegar, but I'll kind of kind of give you that one. But how do you choose to be born in Bethlehem unless you're the God of creation? How do you control a star to lead magi from afar unless you are Lord over all creation? It's just absolutely incredible that number one to the 84th to the 131st power. And in this Palm Sunday story, there are three prophecies that come true. I'm not going to kind of bore you with that. And it's not that the Bible is boring people. I don't want you to understand that. But I'm not going to talk about the prophecy. I just kind of want you to see what happened when he came into the city. Look at verse 7. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 7. The Bible tells us that they brought the donkey and the colt, Zechariah 9.9, if you want to reflect back on that, and they placed their cloaks, their coats, on them, and Jesus sat on it. Now, by the way, Jesus didn't come on a horse. A horse was a symbol of war. He came on a donkey in the Near East, in the ancient Near East. If a king came on a donkey, it was a symbol and an imagery to the city that he comes in peace and not war. And so this king comes in peace. And the crowds went ahead of him. And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. The whole city was cheering. And the people who weren't there as he, as he came into the city were saying, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What they were saying is, Hey, 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 we're cheering because this is our team, this is our king. I think God knew that there's something inside of all of us that needs something to cheer for. Anybody see the movie Blindside? I don't think you liked it because of Sandra Bullock or the other side. I think you liked it because of the storyline. Here's this underprivileged, disadvantaged kid, and, and he's just kind of a long shot, never played football, and all of a sudden he's kind of the underdog, but he comes up the triumphant hero. We all kind of want something to cheer for, don't we? Some of you are still Lions football fans, and we still want something to cheer for, don't we? I think Jesus knew that deep inside our hearts that there was something we needed to cheer for. And on this Palm Sunday, this was the only time, it's recorded in all four Gospels, this was the only occasion where Jesus allowed the crowds to acknowledge him as king, and he received their accolades for being their king. Amazing, isn't it? They were cheering, but they were cheering for the wrong reason. They they lived in a time of severe oppression. They lived in a time where the people were under heavy taxes, restrictions, numerous executions by means of crucifixion. And Jesus knew all about those things, but he also knew their heart. The Jews were in search of someone. They desired a king, a conqueror, someone who would set them free from Rome's oppression. 
They had seen the mighty works of this man, Jesus. They were witnesses to him restoring sight to the blind and, and helping the lame to walk. They, they were witnesses as he fed the multitude with a little boy's lunch and had leftovers to spare. They heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. They listened to him teach with authority that confounded their teachers and their scribes and their lawgivers. And the timing was right. Man, it was past, fast approaching Passover. And this was a festival time in the city of Jerusalem. There were three feasts that went on during this time. There was Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. And Jesus comes in and the crowd and, and, and the population of Jerusalem had swelled because of the, of the Passover and people coming to worship there. Passover, it was sim- symbolic and, and ev- symbolic of the event of the death angel being passed over Egypt and Pharaoh letting God's people go. And now maybe, just maybe at this Passover, God would pass by again king and grant freedom to Israel. Isn't it amazing what you don't see when you don't look for what you need to be looking for? Here he was, not only king of the donkey, king of the day, king of Jerusalem, king of the Jews, king of Israel, but he was king of kings and lord of lords, and he came to to, to set the soul free, to let us know spiritual freedom, and all they were concerned about was political freedom. God offered them something greater, but they were focused on something so far less. I wonder how many times Jesus comes by and, and we're focused so on so, something that's so insignificant and so true that we miss the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we don't take opportunity to cheer him. We don't take opportunity to go, that's my team. That's my guy. That's my king. See, I think there is something in the heart of believers that needs to cheer for Jesus. I think there is something in us after maybe being beat up through the week, maybe being (laughs) smacked around spiritually, maybe just having a hard week emotionally, having a scary week financially. Maybe there's just something in us that when we get here and we talk and we gather in and you hear this song, How Great Is Our God. And all of a sudden, you again see the king come by. And you know that when the king is here, everything's going to be okay, isn't it? Well, the crowds were cheering. Jesus knew their heart. He knew their desire. Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The crowds were raving palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. Palm branches were a long-standing symbol of Jewish nationalism. And they shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And people would clap and cheer and throw up their palm leaves. And the women would cry as Jesus the king would pass by. There's something in us that just needs to cheer. But can I just submit to you that the cheering does not only need to go on in this place? Can I tell you that the cheering needs to go on Monday when you're not in this place? 
It needs to go on Thursday afternoon when you are far removed from this place. The world needs to know, thank God Dennis and Pat today made a public testimony of their inward faith and said, I want the world to know I have chosen Jesus. I think there is something in us that needs to cry out in a world that is hurting, in a world that is dying, in a world that is struggling. Hey, I want you to know, I go through those same things too, but I got a king in glory and he helps me. He sustains me. He guides me and he leads me. I think there's something we need to cheer about again. Listen, we are not the underdogs. Have you read the book we are on the winning team and our king who came on palm sunday over 2000 years ago i'm telling you there is a day coming when everyone will acknowledge that jesus christ is king of kings and lord of lords and on that day every knee will bow and every tongue will cheer his name somehow We've lost the art of cheering. We build churches. We come in suits, unless I lose, use baptism as an excuse not to wear a tie. Get out the door before my wife gets up. Sometimes we sit in nice chairs and in a beautiful building. And sometimes we think, I deserve all this. You know why I cheer? Because I deserve nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, I was raised in church. And honestly, if you put my life against your life, probably my life looks pretty pristine. But I'm telling you, I don't care if you are a 77-year-old drunkard. I was saved at the age of seven. It takes just as much of the grace of God to save a seven-year-old little boy from hell as it does a 77-year-old man from hell. And I can cheer just as much as the alcoholic. I can cheer just as much as the adulterer. I can cheer just as much as the drug addict. I can cheer just as much as the person who is the vilest, the most profane and wicked and away from God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my king. That's simply amazing, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And sometimes I think we forget to cheer. Now, I grant you, we don't say Hosanna like they did 2,000 years ago. But I'll tell you what, what kind of has become the national anthem of the, of the church. If there's kind of one song that kind of catches everything, it's that old hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Let me tell you this story about the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And in the, because in the United States, man, there is no more hymn that's any more well-known than Amazing Grace. It's commonly sung after tragedies, but man, what a poor place to put it. Man, it is a song to cheer on who Jesus is. John Newton is the writer of this tremendous hymn. He, de- he describes, he is described in his, earthly li- in his early life as an immoral wretch who mocked Christianity. He was a sailor, and like many sailors, he, had a, he was very rough around the edges. He was a heavy drinker, and at one point in his life, he was forced into Great Britain's Navy. He tried to desert, but he was caught. He was flogged. He was punished. He used to make up disrespectful songs about the ship's captain, 
about Christianity and blaspheming Jesus Christ. He even left the Royal Navy and became the captain of his own ship and ended up in slave trade. He had no interest in religion whatsoever, but down deep there was something missing. His mother had exposed him to some religious instruction when he was much younger, and she had always prayed day after day that he would become a minister of a gospel, this vile, wretched sinner. God shook him up. I don't know if you know this or not, but God's got a way of getting your attention. God got John's that day. He was steering his ship in an open sea and he was caught up in a perfect storm. And he thought for sure the ship was going down. He knew he was going to die. And in desperation, he prayed to God that he had been mocking all of his life. He had prayed to God whose name had only been a curse word for him. He prayed to the God that he had wrote mocking songs about. And he simply said, save me. Save me now. The moment jolted him into learning more about who Christ was and the person he had mocked all his time. John Newton learned that Jesus really existed, that he was the Son of God. He learned that Jesus had come into this world, lived as a person, sacrificed himself for the sins of the entire world and for the sins of John Newton. And all that profanity and all that mocking and all that immorality and all that drunkenness and all his sins, he was amazed to learn. Was atoned for on the cross by King Jesus. He was amazed. Newton discovered the grace of God that would forgive him and would forgive you and I for every sin we committed. Now, I'm telling you, if you're not a believer here this morning, you may not have anything to cheer about right there. But for those of us who have been washed in the blood, for those of us who maybe knelt down at an altar of prayer in a church or by our bedside, or maybe it was our mothers or our fathers who opened up the Bible and told us of God's wonderful plan of love, forgiveness, redemption, and it included us, and we confessed our sins, and Jesus Christ graciously forgave us of all of our sins. For us, that's something to cheer about. Amazing grace. So he wrote... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began back of the church where he pastored because he did become a minister of the gospel where he preached God's word for many years he's buried there behind that little church not on the front of the tombstone but on the back of the tombstone of John Newton it says these words John Newton once an infidel and a libertine a servant of slaves in Africa 
but by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, and pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Maybe he thought about his life and then he penned when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Church, Palm Sunday reminds us that we don't worship Jesus for superficial reasons, nor do we worship him for our own self-interest. We worship him because he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. We worship him because before him was a cross that on that cross he bore your sins and he bore my sins we worship him because on that day when he said father forgive them for they know not what they do he opened the doors of God's amazing grace and said whosoever will let him come and worship me and today church I invite you to stand and let's together cheer our Lord our Savior let's sing to him that tremendous Hosanna song amazing grace